Welcome to the WLEI Podcast, the official podcast of the Lean Enterprise Institute. I'm executive producer Josh Raposa. In June, Jim Womack and John Shuck will be leading a trip to see Toyota and several other companies in Japan. I'm there, they'll get to see you know, just what great TPS and, 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 and Lean looks like. The coordinator of this trip is LEI's community resource manager, Matt Savas. He just returned from Japan, uh, where he was finishing up the last details on that trip. At the time of this recording, we did have a few seats left open, so if you'd like to attend, please give us a call. This learning experience made me think a lot about a question um, that I hear from time to time from the Lean community. The question is, is Lean or or TPS a, a Japanese way of thinking, or is it a Toyota way of thinking? Meaning that, is there something in, in Japanese culture that make the Japanese think differently about process, waste, and value? So I've asked LEI's founder, author, and lean pioneer, uh, Jim Womack, to sit down with Matt and talk about this question and, and what he saw in Japan in relation to it. Take it away, Jim. Matt, you're just back from Japan, where you've been checking out the current state of lean practice in Japan, where everything is supposed to be lean. And maybe some things really are lean, but other things are somewhere in between. So I wonder if you could tell us uh, about what you saw. Uh, that's right, Jim. So yeah, I was in uh, Kyushu, Japan, checking out Toyota Motor Kyushu, which is a wholly owned subsidiary of Toyota. And uh, we were at one of their Lexus assembly plants. So uh, this was what J.D. Power called the best automotive assembly plant in the world in 2016-2017. And we saw two of their suppliers, a seat supplier and a stamped parts supplier. And then we got to check out uh, a sheet metal manufacturer that uh, has nothing to do with Toyota. They happen to be part of their TPS learning group. Uh, but I can, I can say with uh, certainty that lean thinking is alive and well, at least at Toyota Motor Kyushu and their supplier companies. Okay, well, why don't you walk us through, uh, you go to Kyushu, Here's the world's best plant, certified by J.D. Power. I gather, by the way, it was the world's best plant a while ago, and then they kind of fell off, and now they've gotten back to being the world's best plant. So I would think there's a story there as well, sort of uh, a transformation from falling off. And so uh, if you could just you know, tell us what, uh, what you saw and what happened. Indeed, there, there is a very interesting story. So uh, this plant, early 2000s, uh, J.D. Power called it the best automotive plant in the world platinum plant, Uh, but for a number of years, uh, I'm going to say about 10, uh, they weren't, uh, they fell off. Uh, But in 2016, they got back to that status, platinum plant, and in 2017, they retained that status. Mm -hmm. And how they did it is is really interesting. So the gentleman who runs that facility is a guy named Mr. Yokoi. He is the former director of TSSC here in the United States, and he walked us through what his series of uh, initiatives were to get that plant back on track. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was really surprising uh, what he did. Um, right. And just to, to be clear, he was in the States where he had been trying to transform companies that's the right. way TSSC does and also deal with some good things like food banks and other. Yep. That's, yes, it's transformation, but also for a specially good purpose. So then uh, his reward was to be sent home. To a plant that had fallen off the pace and told to do something. Is that right? That was his job, yes. Bring this plant back to where it used to be. That's right. And so uh, he faced uh, a few challenges. And the way he addressed them was was pretty compelling. Uh, 
I'll just go through uh, a few of them that he did. I mean, the first one is, uh, is something that all of Japan is, is, is struggling with right now, which is an aging workforce. Mm-hmm. Japan has an aging population, and the TMK assembly plant uh, has struggled with that. Uh, assembly work is hard. The average age of an operator is 36, which I gather is not young for a automotive assembly plant. And so uh, one of his main priorities was to make jobs healthier and safer so that uh, older workers could do their job successfully uh, while not uh, struggling, facing uh, the threat of injury. And so if you walk the assembly line, you'll see all kinds of clever ways they've managed to do that. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's one that immediately comes to mind. Uh, They have something called the Daku Daku Seat. So uh, Jim, I know you don't speak Japanese, but uh, Daku means comfortable. Mm-hmm. And so we're sitting in some pretty comfortable chairs right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's probably as comfortable as the seat that uh, an assembly line worker sits down on and will actually swing inside the vehicle mm-hmm. to do internal assembly work. Mm-hmm. So previously, you know, you're sitting on hard steel mm-hmm. uh, with all kinds of nook and nooks and crannies that aren't so comfortable to sit on while you're doing your, your mm-hmm. assembly work. And mm-hmm. so an operator had an idea, hey, what if we had this cool little seat that you could sit on and then just swing inside the vehicle. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that's one great example uh, of how they're making jobs safer and easier. And uh, actually, at the very uh, towards the end of the assembly line, uh, there was another job <laughs> where uh, you know the car is overhead, and so you're, you're you're looking up and doing your work primarily above your shoulders. And um, the gentleman who was doing this job, I think, was 54 years old. So not an easy job to do. But they managed to, uh, what they did was, they made the station height flexible. So it was sitting on, I guess, hydraulics, and it could go up and down. And he was in a chair. And so he could have been at an office desk uh, doing work, but he was in an assembly plant doing assembly work. And the station would go up and down to adjust to his height so that he could comf- mm-hmm. comfortably do the work at his uh, his station. So if you, walk the, if you walk the line, you'll see lots and lots of examples of how uh, that plant has, has figured out how to make jobs safer and easier to do for, for, a, for an aging worker. By the way, uh, this uh, platinum thing is about quality, right? Quality. So what happened to productivity? The old days, we used to say, well, not I ever said, but uh, in the old days, mass production managers said, hey, boss, you want better quality. i got to have more people. It's going to take longer. It'll cost more. So uh, to be honest, I'm not exactly sure what happens when it comes to productivity. Do they have fewer workers? Do they have more workers? Uh, what I do know is Mr. Okoy claims to have never said the word productivity once uh, in his time there, uh, his idea was if we do the right things, make jobs easier to do, uh, make problem solving better, build capability in our workforce, then the productivity will come on its own. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not exactly sure what the cost figures are for TMK, uh, but uh, Mr. Yokoi didn't seem to think that was a major issue. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's uh, the line doing your daily work. I presume, being Toyota, uh, they've got uh, some methods for improving. Yeah, so uh, what was most interesting about this visit was, uh, so you're going to see the best automotive plant in the world, and you think you're going to step into something kind of futuristic. And uh, that's not what happened at all, really. Uh, What we saw was something really from the past. So what do I mean by that? Uh, 
there's something that they're doing inside this facility, not just uh, this plant, you in fact see it at the suppliers as well. They call it katakuri. And katakuri uh, is, uh, I'm going to call it simplified engineering. What it means is if you want to do kaizen, uh, you do it with simple tools, counterweights, um, gravity, pulleys, levers, you just don't use air, you don't use hydraulics, you don't use stuff that's going to cost money or require any kind of uh, sophisticated engineering. As you walk the line, again, you're going to see countless examples of all these clever apparatus to um, increase productivity, improve quality, make jobs uh, easier. I'll, I'll mm -hmm. give you one example. So uh, we were at a work cell and an operator is doing assembly and his parts are in a container next to him and as parts are emptied out of the container uh, this container is connected to a counterweight the counterweight is a plastic bottle full of water <laughs> and so as the container empties this water bottle tugs it and the empty container is moved out for the material handler to pick up and refill and then the next box of parts just slides right into place and so the worker doesn't need to move and uh, really any worker trained in this kind of kaizen would be able to come up with that uh, mm -hmm. kind of clever idea so what's interesting about this is uh, Mr. Okoye didn't say this specifically but I think I gathered it was that um, they're focusing on increasing the accessibility of kaizen and so to do that, they're figuring out how to make Kaizen simpler. And so their job isn't to figure out how to do radical productivity improvements inside the plant. Their job is to figure out how do we make improvement opportunities more accessible to more people inside the plant. And so they have a two-year program to train team leaders on how to do Katakuri. First year is just about, okay, how do you build this stuff? What are the different techniques? Second year is about how you lead your operators and your team on how to do this with you. And uh, it was just it was, it was was just very surprising. You, know, you think you're going to walk in and see all kinds of uh, interesting robotics. Yeah, world, world's best plant, so we've got to be robots everywhere. Surely humans can't do this. And... That's not the case uh, at all. I mean, of course, you see robots doing things like moving heavy parts, uh, doing things that uh, for, for a human would be dangerous. Otherwise, what you see is just very clever forms of engineering from, you know, you probably could go back to, you know, ancient Egypt <laughs> and see this stuff. Well, it's striking just to hear this, that a lot of companies would have said, how do we get these old workers out of here? Let's offer them a package. And Toyota said, well, we're loyal to our people, and they're loyal to us, so why don't we make it possible for old people to do good work? Uh, by the way, without, we think, without a productivity penalty and with a quality benefit, because uh, everybody's engaged, right? Well, uh, you know, what uh, was striking to me was you see these kind of uh, interesting, cool tools, but uh, what you don't as easily see is the structure uh, to develop people so that they're able to create them and use them. And so, uh, you know, getting really four quality days inside these facilities, you really begin to understand the amount of effort that Toyota puts into developing its people so that mm -hmm. they are capable of creating these things and, mm -hmm. and uh, executing them. 
Okay, so if you contrast that with Tesla, which is, uh, gets all the attention uh, in the automotive world, where Elon Musk has said, uh, we're going to get everybody out of here and have a lights-out factory. Uh, Toyota, uh, who they are going to compete directly with, is saying sort of the opposite, that what we're going to do is get uh, good stuff out of old people uh, rather than spend our time trying to figure out how to get rid of old people and either replace them with young people or with robots. So uh, we'll see. You know, this is an interesting, it's fascinating uh, contest. Uh, who's going to win here, uh, both in terms of total quality, in terms of uh, total cost, but also flexibility. That uh, one of the big problems historically uh, with robots is that they're totally flexible, but it turns out, well, yeah, if you've got armies of programmers and uh, you've got a big, big support staff to do this. So uh, very interesting. Uh, my experience in life is that you will not find a good assembly plant that has a lousy supply base. And uh, you, you and I, Matt, have actually had some direct experience of observing trying to approve an assembly plant in another industry that had a woefully inadequate supply base, and it turned out to be pretty hard to do. So in Japan, um, how's the supply base doing? Uh, in Kyoshu. So uh, we saw two suppliers. One was uh, Toyota Boshoku. They make seats. The other was uh, a company called Toyotetsu. They make stamp parts. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's, it's incredible. Uh, <laughs> the level of capability inside these plants. So um, what's interesting about these two suppliers is that they have two very different production systems. So at uh, Toyota Boshoku, they make seats. They weld, uh, sew, stuff assemble and ship seats and just to give you a quick overview it's 140 process steps that they do in sequence from the very first step to ship they produce in the same sequence as the Toyota assembly line and so from the time uh, let's see their their lead time is three hours so from the time of start to finish they're shipped out three hours later they're held briefly in a, I'm using air quotes here, a warehouse <laughs> that holds one shift of inventory uh, near the plant. And then they're pulled from this warehouse to the assembly line. And uh, again, what's, what's interesting about this is uh, you see the same kinds of things you see on the Toyota assembly line. You see katakuri all over the place. And you see just very capable problem solving. And it's just something, uh, you know, I think that's actually more interesting than seeing TPS inside of Toyota. Toyota can control the four walls of its factory, but how does Toyota get a supplier to behave the way it wants to behave? Uh, and it's just remarkable to see TPS that's as good or better than what's inside of a Toyota assembly plant. Well, and uh, well, something else about the relation between the assembler and supplier. Uh, it is hard for a supplier to be better than the schedule of the assembler. So to make that sequence seating thing work, uh, Toyota really has to hold schedule. And uh, you and I have also had some experience with a uh, customer that uh, could not hold schedule and then blame their supplier for all of the problems that uh, caused without apparently being able to see this. Just thought, geez, you know, suppliers ought to just, you know, man up and just do it. So uh, that, that didn't work out so hot. Well, when I went to Japan the first time, a long time ago, uh, really seriously, starting at the end of the 70s, uh, what was surprising was that there was uh, Toyota and then there was Japan. And Japan didn't look anything, including in the car industry, like Toyota. So that was really interesting, uh, that Americans thought this was all about uh, Japanese, and I concluded uh, really the thing to study was Toyota. 
But I do know that uh, lots of companies in Japan have tried uh, over time to become Toyotas and in other industries, and that Toyotas actually helped them. And so did you look at any of that? Yeah, so uh, we saw one company that is part of uh, TMK's uh, Toyota Motor Kyushu's TPS Learning Group. So this is a consortium of small, medium-sized enterprises, all manufacturers. But but don't supply Toyota. That They do not supply Toyota. Uh, in fact, they're... In this case, it was had nothing to do with the auto, auto industry. They, they're a uh, make-to-order sheet metal manufacturer. And, uh, yeah, uh, they, they if you go inside that plant, you will immediately realize this is not the same as Toyota. As part of this TPS learning group, they've begun to take uh, kind of uh, small steps towards improving the capability of their operations and problem-solving capability. So you'll see some simple stuff like visual cues to indicate uh, in their pack and ship area what's coming in, what's going out. But uh, immediately, upon first glance, you will notice that this is different from Toyota. And uh, having lived in Japan, uh, it's something I've wondered myself, is TPS a Japanese thing or is it a Toyota thing? I think uh, it's very clearly a Toyota thing with some help from some unique qualities of Japanese culture. Uh, but yes, that contrast is, is absolutely striking. Toyota is unique in Japan. Right, and Toyota is not just giving them, I should think, uh, technical methods. They're giving them a transformation path. Is that right in this club? Yeah, so what's interesting about it is their coach... Well, first, a couple of things are interesting about it. One is that the CEO of this small company is actively engaged in this work, and so he can talk about the actual problems they're solving on the floor. And the other thing that's interesting about it is that uh, their, their TPS coach and actually just the basic approach to Kaizen inside of Toyota, or whatever you, they call it, the Kaizen Promotion Office, uh, isn't to go out and do stuff for other people. Their job is to help people learn how to do Kaizen on their own. And so it's not the Toyota coach who's getting his hands dirty, but he's there to help guide them to understand, okay, what's the right problem to solve now? And uh, what are the tools and methods that are appropriate for solving this problem? But it's not me who's going to be down here solving this problem. That's up to you. Uh, so uh, that's, that's what's interesting about Toyota's approach to Kaizen and, uh, and, and coaching it both inside their own company and, and outside. Wow. So it sounds like there's a, a good bit uh, going on back at the point of origin of um, this Toyota stuff. Although, of course, the point of origin is Toyota City, not in faraway southern Kyushu. Uh, so that was a leap just to uh, get there from Toyota City. And then there's another leap into the supply base, and now there's a third leap into companies that are not connected to Toyota in any way at all. And Toyota uh, in the States has, and in Europe, uh, people have always said, well, they're just doing that for politics, that uh, the reason they have TSSC is just to look good. Uh, a little hard to see what the look good factor is here. Uh, I think they're doing it because uh, they just believe this is what a good company does. They've got some knowledge, they've got some skills, they've got some methods, and they uh, know about transformation. Uh, we just heard about uh, how they've done it in the Kyushu plant again. So uh, why not share the wealth? 
doesn't cost that much. And uh, by setting up a club, you could reach a lot of companies, if they're willing, uh, with uh, the methods they're going to need and the transformation plan they need. So that's a pretty good story. I'm glad you went. Uh, glad you've told us about it. And uh, I think we're all uh, looking forward to going again. So we're uh, heading back uh, June 24th, and uh, we're really excited about it. We're going to see all the companies that uh, we just talked about, and uh, I'm even more excited that you're going to be joining. Right. Well, I'm always happy to go back. Uh, it gives me energy. Uh, go back and look at uh, the point of origin, or very close to the point of origin, where it turns out this is alive and well. And you have to sort of uh, convince yourself because you say, well, gee, you know, maybe they've been backsliding as well. And I've been back a couple of times in uh, recent times, and uh, that, to my observation, is not true. But still, it's, it's encouraging. And it gives you opportunity to think about whatever activity you're working on, wherever you're working on it in the States, and say, whoa, how does our transformation look compared to theirs? How does our management practice look compared to theirs? How do our tools and techniques look compared to what they're doing. Uh, boy, I bet there's something to learn here, and I've never been disappointed. I've been uh, going to Japan uh, you know, since uh, uh, about 1980, and I've never taken a trip where I didn't see something that I hadn't seen before, and said, whoa, that's useful. Let me either write that down or just record it in memory, uh, and maybe uh, somebody on the other side of the ocean would find that uh, something they ought to try. Let's uh, go home and see if we can find somebody. And on this uh, trip, actually, we're going to be taking some people along with us, and so we're hoping a number of companies will get, uh, uh, get some new energy, uh, get the connection more tightly down between management and the lean practices, uh, get a clearer idea of how they transform their business. Uh, that's what I'm thinking we can do. Well, it was fun talking to you about it, Jim. If you're interested in joining John Shook and Jim Womack in Japan, please contact us at the Lean Enterprise Institute. Phone number 617-871-2900 or email us at learningtours at lean.org. Once again, that's learningtours at lean.org. Thanks for listening.